1: they can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 12th, 2011. For newcomers, you should always look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find shortcuts, but through all the free audios that are there for download, there's hundreds to choose from. You'll find shortcuts hopefully to understanding this big mammoth system. Uh, That runs across the whole world. It's a superstructure of foundations, organizations, uh, trillions and trillions of dollars backing them all up, think tanks all working together, really all branches of the same tree, to bring in this global system. They put your politicians in power, they vet them, and they put them forward for you to choose. And it's the same across the whole globe. has been for an awful long time. And one of the historians, Professor Carl Quigley, talked about that. He said... There hasn't been a president or a prime minister of a country uh, since the late 1800s that wasn't a member and and vetted and picked by uh, this particular organisation. Today you call it the Royal Institute of International Affairs or the Council on Foreign Relations. And even the European branch now has their, their European Council on Foreign Relations branches. Well, Soros is at the top of that one, just to make you all feel happier. But anyway, we're, we're going through a big business plan, and of course they've used a dialectic approach. Uh, people really think there's a marked difference between capitalism and communism, and there's none whatsoever. Because when you look at the goals, never mind the names, never mind all the theories and the shouting, just look at the end goals. You'll find they merge onto the same road down the down the way. And uh, big 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 banks prefer dealing with governments to collect debt rather than lending to the individuals and sending out their tax collectors to to get it back. The government will do it all for them. And an ordered society is really what they're all about. So help yourself to all the audios, as I say, and hopefully you'll you'll start to see uh, the connections, because there are connections there, and uh, I give you the names of various books to read too, which will help you on your way. Remember too, you're the audience to bring me to you, so you can help me to chuck along by buying the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughmiracles.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check, or an international postal money order from your post office, or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal. There's a donation button on the PayPal on, on the the com site. Go in there, you'll find out how to do it, and follow it up with an email with name, address, and order. Just to verify it and I'll get it out to you. And remember, straight donations are really, really welcome. Across the world, Western Union is the method, or MoneyGram, or you can use PayPal once again. And as I say, look into the comms site, you'll find out how to to do it. We're going we're going through the big script, the big business plan, as I've said before, that relies on conflict. You can't get change unless you conflict started. And uh, these characters, they've been here for an awful long time running the the money of the world. They've learned through thousands of years, actually, of doing nothing but specializing in money. Lots of top families involved, interbreeding with each other generally. And they really truly, truly own most of the world's resources. Or they have governments holding it for them under their crown corporations or federal corporations. And eventually down the road, they're giving it for nothing <laughs> to look at, to look after. Isn't that nice? I'll look after, I'll look after that land for you. And you're living in a big con game. Part of it, too, is to retrain entire populations into a new society. But first, you must literally, if you understand what the Frankfurt School was, as a, as a Marxist branch with a special interest in destroying cultures, that was part of its program by by taking over the cultures of the countries and that's all visual uh, music uh, and literary uh, all the whole gambit basically and bring them down until everything is utterly chaotic and dysfunctional and that's when you bring out your new order out of the chaos back with more after this break Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the system of communism, capitalism, and that which comes between the two, which is really the offspring, the birth of the the new system, once there's enough chaos, and the whole idea in communism, and it's even the wrong word, socialism was a proper term for it, because communism was the utopic aspect, or the grand finale, way down in the future, when their utopia was there, across the whole world, That was to be called communism then, about 500 years from the beginning. So uh, socialism is the term that you should really be using. And they talked about the day when would eventually come when a world government would run the whole planet. And when you look into the United Nations sites, their own sites, you'll, you'll find a lot of the same terminology that was used in socialism or what we think of as communism. Uh, the same terminologies through all of their writings, it's very clipped, it's mechanical, and that's the way it is, because emotion is not supposed to come in to uh, this type of system, and that's how the communists ran it too, when they gathered millions up to kill, there was nothing personal in it, they were very mechanistic, very um, very, um, utilitarian about it, and very efficient indeed. And uh, the bankers who got together to form the Lord Milner Group in London, uh, which eventually merged with the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, the ones who were sent across the world to take over all of the world's mineral and oil resources, which they did very well, still doing it yet. And uh, they merged together, and they were going to bring in a world government. So they set up the League of Nations, this particular group and they called themselves the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and they set up the League of Nations, and they said they would need wars, world wars, to get the countries to their knees so that they'd collapse and beg for peace and give up all this fighting, which, of course, the big boys themselves had brought on. And uh, it wasn't enough, so frontmen like H.G. Wells said, well, they haven't given up their sovereignty, we need another war. So they gave us a second world war, and out of that came an awful lot of the socialist policies to do with lend, lease, and throwing money across the planet. And, of course, the big coup was the fact they brought in the United Nations. It was a phoenix rising out of the ashes of the League of Nations, and uh, it's got more power than ever before. Eventually, it was a rise to power through a period of about 50-odd years afterwards. And this is the period we're going in now, as it rises up to its full power. This is from their own site, uh, and it's... Uh, called UN Treaty Watch because they, they, what they do is they get it, they get little treaties drafted up and they get all the, all the leaders of governments to just sign it. That's all. Once it's signed, it is law and it doesn't go through Congress or parliaments. It's just signed and that's at law. And we all must to, have to obey. Bankers have a lot of, a lot of input into this too. That's one of the strangest things I found from early books put out uh, for members of the Council on Foreign Relations for their world meetings, at the back of the book they have a lot of the big bankers including guys from the US Federal Reserve attending in this private club that runs the world and same from the, for the Bank of England too and again the private moneylenders uh, the big families that attended as well, it's all there anyway, and what was interesting too was that so many of them were communists at the time, even in the 1930s uh, and uh, Many of them, other, other ones played the roles of the, of the capitalist middle class. But they all wanted world government. I thought that odd. They all wanted the same system. And then Quigley explained in his book, he says, we don't care who we mix with, uh, capitalist, communist, fascist. He says, it's all the same to us. We can use them all. And that's what they have been doing. UN Treaty Watch. Uh, as I say, I'll put this uh, link up tonight for you to go through. But this is some of the things they discussed at one of the later meetings. Now, remember, the UN was to bring itself up to power gradually, step to step by step, through crisis creation, and take over supposedly the, the the role of fixing the crisis internationally. And here they are pushing for the big role now to take uh, over uh, char- or take charge of the world's economic system. Uh, and governance is a General Assembly considers a strengthened role of United Nations in economic global governance. In the June 28th debate, panelists proposed giving the UN Economics and Social Council power on economic issues similar to the Security Council and a stronger role vis-a-vis the G20. So they're all working together. But the UN is the boss. And of course the IMF, International Monetary Fund, goes under the umbrella of the United Nations too, so does the World Bank, although they're all held held by private bankers, all, all the memberships. And that's got um the WWF details proposed national climate change policies. So all policies again come out of the United Nations. By the way, the top honcho there, the uh, United Nations said that we've got to institutionalize the term climate change and global warming. What they mean by that is to get every news article, regardless of what it's talking about or any political um, discussions, to always end and add in the term uh, and climate change. We're considering this and so on, this and that and so on and so, and also climate change, until you will all parrot the same terms and all seem very familiar to you. That's how you institutionalize terms and political correctness, through repetition. And also it's got UNHRC approves complaint mechanism for children. The protocol, the love protocols by the way, another term that was used by the Marxists. It raises the prospect of children filming, uh, filing grievances with an international human rights treaty committee for alleged violation or inadequate protection by a state party of civil, political and social rights. But then when you look down on it, it's even, it gets even better. European sovereignty network. The European Sovereignty Network is dedicated to promoting transparency and accountability in the various pan-European political, economic, legal, and security institutions. Now, the European Sovereignty Network has had a few names in the past, but it was a Marxist organization, and they were the ones who helped work behind the scenes with lots of cash and big bankers and with lots of NGOs and foundations to to get the whole European uh, consolidation uh, underway it says ESN monitors the work of the European Court of Human Rights European Parliament and other institutions and reports on resulting threats to national sovereignty, individual freedom and the rule of law but then when you go down it gets even better and better now it says um, they've got a whole bunch of, of uh, adopted resolutions they'll show you what they've already adopted to do with immigration across the world UN Human Rights Council has published a list of resolutions adopted at the recent 17th session, including, including resolutions calling for the creation of a national human rights institution, uh, calling upon European countries to comply with their international obligations, which the UN put out before, you see, even, you're now under international obligation in dealing with African migrants. They're flooding in. And it says, an urging member states who are all bankrupt, remember, to implement universal healthcare and promote the transfer of technology and investment in research and development to developing countries. Meanwhile, they've pulled all your research and development and your, your industry out of your own countries. <laughs> but, you know, you're not right in the chaos yet. We're, we're almost there. But you've got to go right into the chaos and poverty and starvation. And that's what they mean by bringing it down to... And that's what the communists used to teach. Communists who were caught uh, maybe giving money to the poor or helping someone that was poor by throwing them food or something uh, were reprimanded because they said that they needed to people, get people so embittered and angry that that was time for revolution. So when the big boys and they put a new linen forward... Um, then you know, it says we, we 've got to have change change is good they 're ready to, to back them and that 's what happens. You see, so you must get the chaos going to the very very end. Relief actually doesn 't help their cause at all. they hate charities for real charities for that that 's why most of the charities now are there, and they 're all cons but um What's even more important too, so here you are, they want massive flooding of immigrants, migrants from Africa, who must get housed, remember, and welfare and all the rest of it. Well, mind you, you can't get operations in countries like Britain anymore. They're actually valuing your life to, as to your relevance to the system. I said they would do this years ago. Uh, and saying, well, you know, this is calling, this operation would cost $145,000 and I'm, I'm afraid you're not worth it. Literally, that happened to a woman the other day who had a a, a, a gastro-total um, um, cessation of, of the stomach working, uh, a paresis, they call it, and she needed an operation to get it going. She dropped down to a very lightweight. Uh, she's not an elderly woman either, and the, the, the National Health Service told her, no, I'm sorry, you know, it costs cost £140,000, do- uh, and we we're not doing it. Now, if she was more important, again, the value to the system, uh, they'd they'd go ahead and do it. And it's got uh, HRC creates Working Group on Human Rights and Transnational Corporations. The UN Human Rights Council has created a working group on the issue of human rights and transnational corporations and other business enterprises that most likely will promote the guiding principles on human rights and transnational corporations in a manner that will lead to the development of soft law in the area of business and human rights, which the UN and NGOs will attempt to impose on transnational corporations. Now, no one has given... You understand the UN is a private organization. Do you understand that? No one votes for it. And the non-governmental organizations that help make up these laws are not voted in either. They belong to the foundations. They're private corporations. That's how you really run. Yeah, this democracy nonsense is just a big joke to cover. And they also criticized the EU and America later on too for, for placing top priority on protecting their own borders. You're not supposed to protect them if you, have to, you have to allow yourself to be flooded with immigration when at a time when you can't afford it. You can't afford the massive welfare system. And um, it says uh, that they're criticizing other things too. The UN human rights council for a sort of you know, guiding principles on business and human rights that does not include enforcement mechanisms that could help scrutinize how companies and governments apply these principles. Uh, But I was looking down to Oxfam. Now, I said years ago, I went through the whole thing in the United Nations. And I better mention how about the global food supply. This one is vital to you. Back after this. folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. Years ago, I went through a lot of the United Nations projects, and I mentioned many times since uh, that uh, that the CEO of the the Department of Agriculture for the UN said many years ago that it was in their charter that eventually the United Nations would be responsible for doling out the food to different regions of the world, and they said it was too inf- food was too important to leave to farmers, they said. So they've done their best through corporations, which work very closely with the United Nations to do all the farmers under, of course. But this is coming. Well, here you go. Oxfam uh, report proposes global governance of food system. Global governance means literally everything coming from the United Nations, including your water supply. You understand what's going on here? Why do you think the big corporations all go to all these environmental meetings, all the top CEOs. You see, they're all part of the same system. All part of the same system. It says in its new report, Growing a Better Future, Food Justice in a Resource-Constrained World, Oxfam calls for a new global governance regime to facilitate the equitable distribution of food around the world. That will join uh, your money that's going around the world as you get poorer and poorer, too. Because that's all part of it as well, all through the United Nations. Your government all knows that, all the politicians know that. They all know what's going on, it's just that you don't know what's going on. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to follow trivia on the news and things that don't really matter. It sounds awful at the time, but they don't really matter. In a war, you don't look at the occasional casualty going down if you're a general on the battlefield. You've got to look at the the goal all the time, the goal of what you're there for and what you're doing. Now, we know, of course, that everything's going the way it's supposed to go. I talked to a woman many years ago, and she was related to uh, Prime Minister of Canada. And I I was going on about the different parts of what I'm talking about now. And she says, no, everything's going the way it's supposed to go. And I thought, oh, is she crazy or new age or what? And she says, no, no. She says, it's all designed this way. It's supposed to all go this way. And uh, that's how it really is. All this cash has been dumped into, the, again, the black hole of, of treasuries that are going down the hill across Europe, supposedly. And that's where it's going. We've had no accountancy at all on the cash where it actually goes. People know, obviously. And it goes into an awful lot of pockets and probably goes back to the big bankers and dealt with international money lenders that start the problem in the first place like a, a circle you know anyway um, they keep throwing cash in uh, uh, saying that it's inevitable that it's, they're all going to crash anyway well if that's the case why would you keep throwing cash in you know and it's all taxpayers money it's to make you poor you see that's, that's the real reason for it again you must bring utter chaos in before you get the final revolution and you must have destroyed all the culture turned it on its head as well and all normalities is turned on its head and they have and then You come out with change is good, you know, change is good. It says Britain facing a 43 billion pound hit if the Italian economy collapses. And it says um, the level of exposure was revealed as Eurozone nations met in Brussels amid warnings the financial contagion is spreading to Europe's third biggest economy. Well, of course it is. Who's in charge of their bookkeeping now? It's an international monetary fund. Who are the guys that declare it's in a crisis? They do. (laughs) Under the United Nations, eh? And then you've got to throw money at them. It goes in a black hole. And, uh, and lo and behold, the whole world's like dominoes just waiting to go down, supposedly, to bring in the new system, you understand. It's designed it. this is the way it's supposed to be. That's how it's going down that way. And so doing that, too, uh, Marx's great dream and Lenin's dream of the dissolution of nation-states Is going away, too. They would wither away, wither away. Actually, what happens is they they go away in bits of paper that are signed in agreements. China's scrabble for Europe. China is using its growing economic strength to buy up strategic assets in Europe from companies to government debt and infrastructure contracts. A new brief published by the European Council on Foreign Relations that run the the, the EU... (laughs) The Scramble for Europe explores the extent and nature of China's game-changing presence in Europe. They're buying whole chunks of land up and everything. And right across Africa, same thing. China has moved on from buying African ports and building Saudi railways, taking advantage of its economic strength and European weakness to buy up Europe acquisitions include infrastructure such as ports and railways, symbolic car companies like Volvo and MG, and high-tech firms as bought large quantities of debt in the EU's troubled periphery, periphery, and it won government contracts while excluding European companies from bidding for Chinese contracts. It's a great deal, isn't it? It's a one-way street that's this great uh, Soviet system you have over Europe. They allow all the Chinese to do that, but you can't do that in China. Hmm? This is uh, European supply is fed by the short-term need of cash-strapped countries, but this threatens Europe's medium-term interest. You no know, money's all nonsense, anyway. You do know that, all this debt stuff, not right. What do international money lenders actually give a country when you have to borrow from them? What do they actually give you? They don't give you gold. You're not in a gold standard. It's just a bit of paper to allow you to print up the cash. But they want, it. but the deal is, you've got to give it back to them in real assets. This is a kind of win-win deal, isn't it? You all think you're living in such a legitimate system. Really, you're living in Disneyland. You really are. You're kept at the lowest level of utter ignorance of how this system works. And all of the top boys, too, that hold the central banks have all made deals long ago, hundreds of years ago, some of them, that they'll never be audited. They don't have to, have to open their books to anybody. Even the Bank of England doesn't have to do it. That was the first policy that all Charles brought in. You will never go over our books in perpetuity. Not bad deal, eh? Back with more after this break.
0: Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
1: Hi, folks, we're back, coming through the matrix. Uh, this article from James uh, Dellingpole. A journalist in Britain, is, is pretty good, he says former U.S. Secretary to the United Nations, John Bolton, once famously said, "The U.N. Secretariat building in New York has 38 stories. Why, by the way, do you think it's in New York? Have you looked at the history of it? It's quite interesting. Has 38 stories. If it lost 10 stories, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. But I'd say Bolton was being too modest in his aspirations, far too modest." I suggest that if we lost all 38 stories, the benefits to mankind would be almost incalculable. Right now, indeed, it's likely that the United Nations poses a far greater threat to Western civilization and the world's economic future than Al-Qaeda does. Have a glance at its latest report, and that's the World Economic and Social Survey 2011, and I'll put the link up on that too. And you'll see what I mean. The report argues that over the next 40 years, our governments must spend an annual minimum of $1.9 trillion. That's an eye-watering $76,000 trillion altogether, uh, uh, steering the global economy onto the path of green growth. Green, as well drop in population through diseases that they are putting out there, but green growth, as the report more or less acknowledges, is an oxymoron that's why, even though it was supervised by an alleged economist, Dutchman Rob Voss, the report is not at all ashamed to advocate limiting economic growth through rationing, as I was mentioning about food and so on, punitive taxation and other forms of government intervention. Why to combat Climate change, of course. And as I say, too, the top guy at the United Nations said we must institutionalize on every report climate change. The folks are parroting it just, just how they are, like parrots. He says, here's the kicker, hence, if, for instance, emission reduction targets cannot be met through accelerated technological progress in energy efficiency and renewable energy generation, it may be necessary to impose caps on energy consumption, that's rationing in itself, in order to meet climate change mitigation in a timely manner. Proposals to put limits on economic growth can be viewed in this context. And if shaving off $1.9 trillion from the world economy each year, that's 3% of the world gross domestic product in 2010, uh, results in further economic stagnation and a lower standard of living for our children and grandchildren, well, what the hell? As the report primarily tells us, none of us actually needs to earn more than $10,000 a year to live on. Anything more is greedy. No, um, this is real, folks, and it's coming your way. They mean it. They mean it. You really don't understand it. I know you don't. For example, taking life expectancy as an objective measure of the quality of life, it can be seen that, that life expectancy does not increase much beyond a per capita income of about $10,000. Similarly, cross-country evidence suggests that there are no significant additional gains in human development as measured by the Human Development Index beyond the energy use level of about 110 gigajoules or two tons of oil equivalent to uh, per capita, meaning your energy output. Are they seriously suggesting that developed economies should ration their people's energy use? Yeah, they surely are. The survey estimates that the emissions cap would be equivalent to primary energy consumer consumption of seventy gigajoules per capita per year, which means that the average European would have to cut his or her energy consumption by about half and the average resident of the US by about three quarters. You know it's, it's, it's Canada where I winter in Canada where I am is about half the year. And you have to heat yourself in some way or another. But not according to the UN. I say So instead of being able to enjoy a hot shower every day, all you Americans, you'll now confine your warm ablutions to weekends only. Same goes for air conditioning in summer and heating in winter. Welcome to the new green world order. What's amazing about this stuff, and believe me, there's plenty more where this came from, is the unblushing shamelessness with which it advocates this economic insanity. It's not insanity. They're going to bring us all down, population-wise, everything. Until you're running around in rags, and I really mean that. Here's the world's most powerful intergovernmental institution essentially arguing for the destruction of the global economy, enforced rationing, Marxist wealth redistribution, and we're doing that already, we've been doing that for over a year now, greater regulation, the erosion of property rights, and global governance by a new world order of technocrats and bureaucrats. And being so upfront about it, they actually issue press releases telling us what they're planning to do and encouraging us to write about it. You know, the reason for it is because most people who are playing themselves on television and all the other things that they do will never even believe it, even when it's happening to them, until their back's on the wall and they're asking for bread. They won't believe it. They'll be in shock. He says, this is the thing that amazed me while I was researching my book Watermelons. If the global green movement is any kind of conspiracy, then it's a conspiracy in plain sight. Remember, H.G. Wells called it the open conspiracy. The people in power who are advancing its agenda, be it President Obama's House eco-activist John Holdren and Carol Browner, Green MP Carolyn Lucas, and all those faceless apparatus at the United Nations and the EU, make absolutely no bones about what it is that they want to do to save the world from the peril of climate change, the end of industrial civilization. And that's the excuse they're using as climate change which might be just about understandable if the crisis we were facing were so great that only the most extreme measures would suffice. But the crisis they describe is non-existent. As I argue in the second half of the book, economic growth and true environmentalism, as opposed to the sick, bastardized, warped, hair-shirt perversion of it currently being dumped on us by the Greenies, go hand in hand. As economies grow richer so they have more money to set aside for cleaner rivers, fresher air as well as to invest in R&D projects for ever more eco-friendly forms of energy. It's no coincidence that quite the worst environmental damage in the last century was done in those countries behind the Iron Curtain. Free market economies tend naturally to be cleaner and healthier because clean and healthy is what people choose anyway if they can afford it. And that's the part is the if, right? They don't need government to step in and take their money in order to spend it inefficiently trying to achieve something which would have happened quite naturally anyway. What this ludicrous UN report is advocating is the exact opposite of what the world needs if it's to become genuinely greener. All those people in the developing world, if they're to live healthier, less environmentally damaging lives, that the very last thing they need is handouts from richer economies. It never gets to them anyway. It goes to corporations. What they need is property rights and free trade and the the chance to grow their economy to the point where, um, they call it CF, the, the, the Kuznets curve, they can afford the luxury of having to breed fewer children and to heat and light their homes without having to chop down the nearest trees. What they also need is for us in the rich west to have thriving economies in order that we can import more of their produce. It's true enough, you can't import it if you're broke. Rationing and limits to growth are not the answer. The UN is a a menace, and we listen to its eco-fascist ravings at our peril. And I've said that for years. It should be dismantled because it's the greatest danger to us all. It really is. It's utterly Marxist, backed by the international bankers and all of the big foundations. And it was set up by the big bankers themselves at the Royal Institute of International Affairs for this purpose. And getting back to the culture destruction that must go hand in hand, well, I've lived through a good, a good part of it. When they re-brought the, the, the roaring twenties back into the roaring sixties and seventies, uh, with the pill this time and abortion and penicillin for venereal disease, that's what killed the first one. And, and a lot of drugs with the second one as well. To utterly just start destroying the family unit, which is prime on the manifesto, along with the United Nations policies too, they're all for the destruction of the family unit. And uh, now they've changed everything upside down. And this article here is uh, is is pretty typical of what you've got today. Because, as uh, I've said before, no one gets to be a star by their own hard work and talent. Be it as a scientist, by the way, or be it as an entertainer. And uh, it's a vast machine, a vast machine, a professional machine behind it that makes someone a star. Lady Gaga gets honorary city, Sydney citizenship in Australia. Uh, it says Lady Gaga, you know, that little skinny, you know, let's call her what she is. She's a little slut that would do anything for cash. She, they could have picked out a million, the same kind of people made her the star, but they made this one the star. It says that uh, Sydney siders can now uh, call U.S. chart-topper Lady Gaga one of their own, uh, with the city's mayors declaring her an honorary citizen. She, she was given the title Honorary Citizen of Sydney for her support of the gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgender community. What about the ones that are dead for necrophiliacs? So I when mean, she danced, she danced with all those ones that were from, that were dead bodies, uh, plasticized from China. Uh, they're they're That's discrimination. That should be up there too, you know. Lady Gaga has been powerful force for the gay, lesbian community in Sydney, and we have a rare honor for people whose achievements embrace the ideals and spirit of our city, Lord Mayor Clover Moore said in a statement. Just thought I'd let you know, in case you missed that little bit of trivia there. But it's not really trivia because it shows you what's happened. Because this was part of the culture destruction uh, that uh, the Frankfurt School said that they would make happen, and I've lived through a good lot of it, knowing what was going on, when others didn't. And and then you have this one, you know, uh, another one too, and a little uh, little slot that brought up is this what they mean by the sexualization of teenagers? Taylor Momsen whips her young fans into a frenzy with a lewd act. So they've got another little skinny one who's doing her lesbian stuff on stage, groping and kissing girls, all girls, you know, just to make sure your little children get utterly confused, uh, but all match with all their indoctrination at school, and uh, they might not take it so badly. But anyway, it's, and you'll see all the photographs of this. Uh, it's a promo, I understand. This article is actually a promo for this, like, Aren't We Naughty? And, um, it says that she was seen gyrating in the lap of one of her fans as a group half-dressed. Similar-aged girls were whipped into a frenzy behind her. She had to whip out and all the rest of it. Because she must bring sadomasochism into all this stuff as well. And I've watched it turned upside down, as I say, my whole life. I've seen parts of the communist, good parts of the communist manifesto. And it pushed from very rich sources. But again, too, you must take over the culture industry and that was done a long, long, long time ago. And you get it every day. You get your dose every day, no matter what you're watching. You can't watch anything today with, without the PC stuff coming into it. And the terms too, you know, global warming, yada, yada, climate change, even the comedies. And I said years ago, eventually you'll see these live sex, uh, sex acts on not just on stage in some private club, but, but on television as normal fare. And along with it all goes this one: unstoppable sex disease, new strain of gonorrhea that resists all antibiotics could spread quickly. I call it the galloping clap. And it says a sexual disease that's resistant to all drugs has been discovered by scientists. I bet it's been made by scientists. They warn a the strain of super gonorrhea could spread. Very quickly unless better treatments are developed Although only one case has been confirmed Experts fear many more have gone unreported That's generally the case Until now gonorrhea has been very easy to treat With antibiotics called uh, Cephalosporins And that's not true, by the way They're not easily treated at all Because most folk don't know it Or they call it nonspecific urethritis And by the time it's in your body you've got a lot of damage done Most folk who end up with uh, osteoarthritis a lot of them, in anyway, have had, had uh, un, unknown doses of gonorrhea. This patients usually need only a single pill or jab. That's if you catch it catch in the first week. You see how they try to downplay the truth? And often you'll catch more than one type at the same time, by the way. So when they concentrate in one and forget the other one, like syphilis, you're, you're going to be in a bad way. It says Swedish scientists who have analysed the new strain found in Japan believe that over the decades the disease has mutated to become resistant to current treatments. they will come out of a lab, obviously. What better time when I've got all this strange stuff going on on the stage and and children like Julian Huxley, he literally said that they should rut like rabbits and that way they'd never bond with anybody and they'd have no children. Great guy at UNESCO, at the United Nations. You people really really don't know what's going on. It's like I half believe that, but you don't want to believe the rest. I think it was Jack Zillow said most people are in a, in a hypnotic state most of their lives. They're never truly all there. I think that's true. I'd go along with that. And um, the culture's been utterly destroyed now. You cannot fix it now, you understand once it's it's again institutionalized into society, you can't fix it. It would literally take a natural phenomenon that they didn't expect at the top, a real one, to decimate the planet for things to start all over again in a more natural way. Because once a contamination is in, and that's what they call it, once the contamination is set in, you can't stop it. It's promoted from the top, for goodness sake. All of it, including, you know, euthanasia. And then it'll come economic euthanasia. Well, you know, it's, if you live for another 10 years, you only cost the taxpayers so much dough from your pension money. as your pension money, but the government really needs that cash to, well, give to Africa so they can get green power. And you think, I'm kidding. It's already happening. That's <laughs> quite something, eh? Quite something. You all think that the, the institutions that are out there are there for your benefit. And they are what they, they say they are. Remember what Lenin said, too, we shall create services in the West. And those services will then become authorities over the people. He meant police services, children's aid services, the medical service. All these things were optional at one time. Towns used to hire cops and fire cops. And the, and the medical industry is the biggest carnival in every respect because they spent years through, again, through dramas on television to convincing the public they're so professional. The caring profession, you know how much the caring professional cost you in, in America or, you know, or even Canada if you don't have insurance or some other car, about two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 sometimes per week. Huh? The caring profession. You know, they, they give you special diets in a hospital if you've got high blood pressure. What they do is they just don't add the salt to the same dinner that everyone else is getting and they charge you an extra 50 bucks. The whole thing's a con. Here's an article from Scotland. Doctors cash in on methadone in West Dumbartonshire. Doctors were paid more than £600,000 of taxpayers' cash last year for prescribing methadone to drug addicts in West Dumbartonshire the Lennox Herald can reveal, and the health board pays the general practitioners £372 for every patient on their list who is prescribed the heroin substitute. These figures have stunned drug campaigners, particularly as methadone has just 10% success rate in getting addicts clean. It's not meant to get them clean, it's a pharma that's cashing in on the big business of addicts. Yeah. This is around 400 drug ice were prescribed methadone by 15 doctors practices throughout West and Bartonshire between April 2010 and April 2011. But payments were made quarterly, so the health board forked out £372 each time for a total of 1,615 patients and also stumped up a £1,000 single retainer fee each year to each practice. It's true. You're going to get help now in in the medical profession. And as I said before, you don't know if that guy is going to help you or kill you. You're worth more dead than alive if he's going to harvest your organs. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we we'll go to Bob from Texas, sir. Hello. Hello.
0: Yeah, I'm okay. I didn't know if you could hear me or not. Yes. Uh, you know, Alan, what you're doing is you're you're doing the the very thing that we should be doing, and that is exposing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the one thing that, as part of the exposing them, that we need to do is we need to let them know. How they are threatened by their own BS, Mm -hmm. and the where it's coming at us is coming at us from enforcement. Yeah. Without the enforcers, they couldn't do any of this, and without the people going along, they wouldn't be able to get along with. They wouldn't be able to do any of this. Yeah. And we need to, to let them know what danger they're in. Yeah.
1: And we've got to start putting up lists as well. Lists of we know we know who they all are. Pardon? We know who they all are in the different governments. And we should drop lists too and say, we know who you are. We know what you're up to. You yes. know. And one day there's got to be a reckoning here because they're doing us all under deliberately and uh, destroying nations. They're all up for treason to start with. And, uh, and they're all guilty of it. So. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done but yeah, without enforcement they can't do a single a single part of it and the public, you know, I, I don't put a lot of faith in the mass public but uh, because of history they've never all stood up together at the same time for anything and that's why things like the Soviet Union could happen with the mass slaughters um, but we've got to start doing it because they're near the end of this phase of it and believe you me the next phase, uh, there's no chance at all once it's all up and running yeah.
0: Right, but once, right now, well, while there is still some time left, we need to uh, let them know how threatened they are with their own BS. Yeah. yeah. And then we need to, then then there's no good to even do that without letting them know the way out. Now, I sent you an email, hopefully you, you've got it, and uh, 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 when you see it, uh, there will be a sign on it. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, this is the thing as an act of love. We need to let them know that there is a a way for them to get out. Mm -hmm. And Those that are going along, they need to know that there's a way to get out of this.
1: Because
0: it's going to happen, and you and I both know that it's going to happen.
1: Well, you will see this if it turns sour and nasty, uh, and it it doesn't go all uh, smoothly for them. You will see them jump off ship very quickly, because most of them are little low-level psychopaths that go along to get along with the the most cash, and uh, they'll jump uh, off off the ship very, very quickly indeed. The
0: fact of the matter is they're going to kill each other.
1: Oh, that too. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Power is, especially among psychopaths, power is a a terrible thing, and they don't realize that uh, in all cliques uh, of higher psychopaths, the paranoia of each other runs very high, very high and uh, it just takes the click to turn on one and that's the message to the rest of them and uh, and then fear runs through them often too they'll use that fear that they'll project it onto the public and start killing them off that's also the history of this type of system but uh, yeah they will start doing away with each other and what they don't realize too they will, they will no longer need a global a, a national government shortly when, when the UN takes over everything all you'll get is appointed bureaucrats they won't need these guys anymore. And if they know too much, they're not going to be around for too long because uh, they don't want them talking to the public uh, about how this all came to be and how it came about. You're quite right. Yeah. But thanks for calling. And from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's night to me, your God. All your gods go with you.